0: Hang out with us on that day. All right, today we're continuing to teach through the armor of God as we walk through Ephesians chapter 6. Today is about the shield of faith, the shield of faith. Uh, when we, oh great, somebody, we got the shield of faith. We're excited about having the shield of faith. This is a good reminder, but we did last week, we're retraining, remember, that preaching is a group project, all right, all right. Y'all did pretty good last week, but just remember, like, let's loosen up again. Everybody give me an amen. Amen, amen, great, okay, give me a that's good, that's good, say, oh yeah, okay, and give me a preach it, all right, there we go, okay, great, those are some of your options today, or a hello, as we talked about (laughs) last week, you can give me one of those, but let's do this thing together. All right, before we uh, jump in the text, I want to give you an idea of why this is so significant for our lives, so... Recently when I was on an ATV and we're on four wheelers going through Alaska and all these different things, I was getting on it and I was very excited to just hit the gas and go and just be crazy and fun, right? But I'm I'm going and I'm driving and I'm hitting the gas, pedal to the metal and it's going, you know, and it's not really going very fast. People around me are passing me. I look like either I'm dumb or a chicken, like I won't drive fast enough or I don't know how to, you know, and so I'm getting embarrassed. I don't know what's going on. And I'm, I'm upset because I'm like, this is supposed to be fun. And I'm hitting pedal to the metal. I can't figure it out. You know, what's going on? Why can't I go faster? Eventually, one of the people that were with us, they drive up next to us. You know, he's kind of making fun of me because I'm going so slow, which he should do. And then he says, I, might, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong with the ATV. It's not me. It's the ATV, okay? There's something wrong with this thing. And he looks at me and he says, do you have your seatbelt on? And I said, no, I don't have my seatbelt on. And he says, well, the ATV won't go forward very fast unless you put your seatbelt on. Like wow, I didn't know this is. I didn't know they even did this in four wheelers. Okay, so there's safety precautions in four wheelers. Amazing, imagine that. So as soon as I put my seatbelt on, it was like an instant change. It's amazing. As soon as you click that thing, all right, just like when your car stops beeping, all right, you say beep 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 beep, but you click it and everything's peaceful again. Uh, the same thing was true with this. I put the seatbelt in, and as soon as I whoop hit the gas down to the pedal, I just took off. Okay, we were flying, and for the rest of the time, we were able to really do everything, anything that we wanted to do, we were able to do. It. and what I learned from that situation well I want you to understand uh, in life really and spiritually is that you cannot move forward without the proper protection in place you can't move forward in your spiritual life without the proper protection in place you can't hit the gas so to speak of your spiritual life you can't move out of the situations that you're stuck in whether you're stuck in your feelings, whether you're stuck believing certain lies, whether you're stuck in certain bad habits, whatever it is, you feel like, man, I wanna grow, I wanna change, you cannot move forward unless you first put your seatbelt on. And what we're gonna see here spiritually is you cannot move forward spiritually unless you first take up the shield of faith. It's kind of backwards to us to think I have to take a moment to protect myself so that I can actually move forward in life. You feel like putting the seatbelt on takes a moment of your time. Well, this is what it looks like for us spiritually is that we cannot move forward We cannot move out of the places that we're stuck in. We cannot become everything that we are intended to be. We cannot live out the victory we want to live out. We cannot make change and progress until we first put our seatbelt on or metaphorically until we first take up the shield of faith. And so in light of that, we're going to go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 6. So go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. All right great. Once again, like every week, we only have one verse, but I'm going to read the previous several to remind us of the whole armor that we're looking at. So Ephesians 6, 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So once again, remember, this is the goal that we would stand firm. So how are we going to do that? It says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, here's the verse for us today. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. All right, so verse 16, the shield of faith. This is the fourth piece in the body of armor that we have been discussing. Remember, as we talked about last week, there's two sets of three. The first set of three uses the word having, as in these are things that you kind of leave on, like the gospel of peace, not something. The second set of three, taking up, are things that you pick up and use. So this is what the Bible wants you to consider about what is going on in your life. So you have the first three, and now we're shifting to the next three. And you need to actively take up and use the shield of faith. And to help us walk through this, the verse basically gives us a when, a what, and a why, if you break it down. When do I use the shield of faith? In all circumstances. What do I do when I'm troubled? Take up the shield of faith. Why do I need to do that? Well, to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And so I'm going to work us through those kind of sections, the when, the what, and the why, uh, one by one. So the first thing, and we're going to start backwards and work our way towards the front. Oh, You need to ask, why do you even need the armor of God? You need to remember, why do I need the armor of God? Well, the Bible here says because the evil one is shooting flaming arrows at you, fiery darts at you. Here's the way that I would say it. You could write it down. The problem is that the devil throws darts at your heart, okay? He's playing darts with your heart. This is the reality of the spiritual world around you, which we keep covering every time we're stepping into this and say, if you do not recognize the problem, you will not find the right solution. If your problem is always earthly and things you can see, then you will always diagnose the solution with things you can see and with earthly solutions. But if you begin to understand that there is a real spiritual reality and realm around you, that the devil and his demons are very real and that they are constantly on the attack against you, then you begin to armor up with the appropriate pieces of armor. You need to understand that the devil, the Bible says, is throwing flaming arrows at your your life. Or if you want to think about it this way, he's throwing darts at your heart. When you think about what Paul is writing and considering, he's, he's using what he has, you know. Well, flaming arrows would have been the most dangerous things Paul could think of back then. It was a primary weapon in war. It was something that was used with great effectiveness. So people would obviously have arrows they would shoot, but then they would create ways to light them on fire. So then when the army's advancing against them or whatever it might be, they're shooting the arrows into the air, they're landing. And he said, part of the, the, the goal of shooting all of these arrows and setting them on fire isn't just to injure the enemy, but it's also to throw them into a state of panic. So when a bunch of fiery arrows are coming at you, your brain probably starts to get highly stressed and you're beginning to think about all the different ways this could go wrong. When you're seeing them flying in the sky, you're naturally going to be thrown into a state of panic. When you see them coming from all sides, you're going to be thrown into a state of panic. Here's part of the aim of the devil is that if he cannot injure you, he at least wants to create chaos around you. If he cannot get the arrow to stick to you, he at least wants to throw you into a state of panic and confusion in your life. One of the issues with these arrows back in war times in this way is that often they would come swiftly and from places that are unexpected. So you're, you're marching up around and then all of a sudden they start coming from angles that you did not expect. You don't see them until they're almost landing on you. And this is part of the issue as well with our spiritual life. The problems we have, or even the internal problems we have, or even the struggles of our life often come from places unexpected and they come swiftly and we don't even hardly see them before they land on us. These are the struggles that you and I face. These are the realities. So when he's talking about these flaming arrows coming at us, it's a good reminder of what the battle's really like for us. Another thing to remember from here is that he says they come from the evil one, meaning the devil and his army. The Bible already said earlier, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities, principalities, rulers, and rulers of darkness. So you have to remember where these shots are coming from. So where are these thoughts coming from? Where are these struggles coming from? You just always need to have your eyes open to the spiritual realm around you that although obviously there are earthly realities and things that come into play, there is always a spiritual reality behind it. And if we don't deal with the spiritual reality, we won't actually make any progress. If we don't consider the fact that the devil is actually coming after us and some of these intrusive thoughts that come into our minds are directly planted by him, if we don't begin to think about these things and fight against them, we will not find victory. So these are the flaming arrows. Now, we think about a shield of faith is protecting you from the flaming arrows. I want you to consider now that flaming arrows, spiritually, are really just thoughts. Thoughts. When he's talking about flaming arrows he's talking about thoughts the way you could say this is that the devil's most effective shot is a thought the devil's most effective shot is a thought what are the flaming arrows the fiery darts the things that are coming your way if you simplified it they're really just thoughts it's all they are they're thoughts and so the devil's most effective shot is a thought Therefore, it is his primary goal to be introducing or reintroducing bad, negative thoughts into your brain, into your heart, as often as he can. So that's what you need to be protected from. To say that he's out to shoot these things at you, they're gonna come in the form of thoughts, and therefore you need to pick up the shield of faith, which we will get to, but I wanna narrow this down a little bit more, and I wanna give you four different categories of thoughts that the devil uses to try to get into your heart, into your soul, into your brain, into your way of thinking to destroy your hope in your life. So his most effective shot is a thought. What are four types of thoughts, all right? The first one is temptations. The first one is temptation. So temptations are flaming arrows that come at you to throw you into a state of panic or to make you uh, act in a way that will destroy your life. Temptations are when the devil uses our desires and lust to turn us from God's way and makes us trust in our own way. In a sense, and then we'll see this a little bit later, temptations are the way in which the devil makes us or, or convinces us to get rid of our shield of faith and make us open to attack. He uses our desires and our lusts, our feelings within us, the things that we want, the things that we crave. He then convinces us that these things are good, that our way is better than God's way. And in doing so, his goal is to set fire to our life. The flaming arrow of a temptation, the goal is that it would land and that it would set fire to your life, that it would begin to destroy everything about your life. This is the devil's desire. Thinking about things like lust, greed, sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, and the list can go on and on. When you look at Galatians chapter five, he talks about the flesh and the different uh, manifestations of the flesh. But you take any desire you have that's lustful. Any desire you have for material gain that's ungodly, to be greedy, any desire you have to be better than or to exalt yourself above others, to be the best, that's unhelpful. Any desire that you have in that way, the temptations for money, sex, power, the main things that tempt every human being on earth, the devil's taking these things that exist in the world. He's creating an atmosphere where the world approves of these things, and then he's utilizing your own desire for them, and he's lining them up. All up against you when you begin to think how serious this is to say he's coordinating a worldwide attack that says the world generally says these things are good you should pursue them money sex power whatever get yours that's what the world is saying that's what your temptations say that's what your flesh says I just want to feel good I just want to do what feels good in the moment I just want what's good for me that's what our flesh does and so he's utilizing all of this which means you stand no chance unless you have a more something more powerful you have to realize how like dead in the water you are unless you take up what the armor God has given you. You really are. Like you and me do not stand a chance apart from what God has given us. Amen. So temptations. He'll come, let's, let's give you some, some thought experience. He'll come up and say, well, you know, he'll just shove that thought in there to say, well, if it feels good, just do it. Or here's a big one. Is it really that big of a deal? That one gets a lot of us. I know God said not to do it, but is it really that big of a deal? It's not like I'm going to die right this second if I, you know, Is it really that big of a deal? God forgives me." You know Or that? That's him, the, he comes to temptation and say, "Well, God will forgive you anyways." And he begins to twist and perverse God's grace and His forgiveness and love for you. the temptations that say no one else will see. How about that one? He just comes into the private places of your life and says, no one else will know. How about this one? Who are you really hurting, anyways? Not really hurting anybody. What's the big deal? Or he begins to distort our view of God in our temptation to say, man, isn't God just a joy kill? He takes away every good thing you want to enjoy in life. And he begins to feed your mind. And if you let him do that, those things are going to begin to convince you. That's really not that big of a deal. Everyone else is doing it. All of these things. These are the things you and I face constantly. These are the thoughts. So the devil's most effective shot is a thought. And he's taking thoughts to plant desires and to twist and distort God's good creation so that you would act on your temptations because he knows when you act on your temptations, you begin to destroy your life and you begin to go backwards, not forwards. The next T, or they're all gonna be T's, so temptations, the next category of thought is terrors. So you have temptations and then you have terrors. Terrors are fears, intrusive thoughts, worst case scenarios, doubts, Or when your feelings overwhelm you, in a sense of you have an overwhelming sense of condemnation, an overwhelming sense of despair, an overwhelming sense of regret, an overwhelming sense of hopelessness, and any other terrible feeling that begins to ruin your life, the the devil introduces terrors into your life. He makes you think constantly about the worst case scenarios. There was this show that me and I, my wife and I used to watch where the couple would play this worst case scenario game. And they would talk about the worst possible things that could happen with any particular decision or outcome. And they would try to use that in some psychotic way to calm themselves, to come back and say, well, that's probably not going to happen. So we're okay back over here, you know? So if something bad does happen, it's probably not that. So if I think about the worst case scenario, I'm going to come back to more reality of scenario. Some of us are more prone to this, but When you think about the thoughts that come into your your mind about uh, hypothetical situations that aren't true and haven't happened, but they introduce terror and anxiety in your life, I mean, think about the reality that a lot of our anxiety is about things that don't exist or haven't happened yet. You know, some of it is all things that have happened or things that are currently happening, of course. But some of it is also hypothesizing into the future, believing things that aren't true yet, letting non-realities come in and affect my current status. Letting things that aren't true yet affect my current well-being. When he introduces fears into your life. when When he convinces you that the people you love the most are going to die sooner than you would like. When you're constantly worried about the worst-case scenario, every parent knows this, or a new parent especially, you think every five seconds the kid's going to die. You know, that's what, that's what every parent with a baby, it's just so funny to watch. It's just the baby's always going to, every five seconds, they're worried about that. The baby's going to die, the baby's going to die, the baby's going to die, you know? And every parent that's been a parent for a while is like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, this'll be fine. Yeah, be, just chill out, it'll be fine, okay? And then you have two or three, and you're just like, oh, it'll be fine, whatever, okay? Yeah, everybody's saying. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're super sick. Well, they'll just be fine. You know, everybody, just you just get used to it. You say, okay. You start to learn it's not, it's not the worst case scenario, but you begin to think worst case scenarios about your job, worst case scenarios about even, let's say, uh, your marriage prospects, worst case scenarios about uh, your kids, worst case scenarios about your health, worst case scenarios. You just begin to live in this place. So instead of living in faith, you begin to live in fear, and he can surround you and fill your thoughts with terrors. And this is one of his attacks against the well-being of your soul. I think terrors are the place where he really begins to twist and distort your feelings. So if he really wants to get you to a place of hopelessness, he's got to convince you that things are always going to work out bad. He's got to terrorize your soul. If he really wants you to get you a sense of overwhelming regret, he's got to terrorize your soul with the things that you have done. As opposed to feeding your soul with regret. Uh, the forgiveness of Jesus. So that's terrors. The third one is tricks. Temptations, terrors, tricks. These are his, one of his main weapons, obviously, lies, deceptions, imaginations, hypotheticals, assumptions, anything to keep us from th- seeing things as God does. This is one of his first things he does at the Garden of Eden when he goes up to Adam and Eve, and he basically says to Eve, did God really say He's like, you will not surely die. God said you would die. He says, did God really say you won't die? He begins to trick, uh, lie, manipulate, create different realities, deceive, have you imagine alternative realities, and not believe the things. The goal of the trick is like a magician is to keep you from seeing the reality, is to keep you from seeing things as God does. So if he can lie to you and deceive you, he can keep you from seeing things as God does. He can convince you to see things as he does and to follow his advice. He's tricking, he's lying, he's deceiving, he's planting thoughts in your head, particularly to negate what God has said. He's having you create assumptions and hypotheticals. That's the third one, tricks. The fourth one is trials. So temptations, terrors, tricks, and trials. This is when he uses our circumstances to turn us from faith and into doubt. So trials are when the devil uses our circumstances, which may not be favorable to us, to turn us from faith into doubt. This is where senses of apathy come in, where you say, like, why try anymore? You know, he introduces the thought to say, well, you could just never get better anyways. Things always go wrong for you anyways, why try anymore? This is where you begin to feel bitterness. He can turn your trials into reasons to be bitter. So because things haven't gone well for you, if someone has mistreated you, he can convince you that you have a right to be bitter, that they should be treated this way, that things should go wrongly for them, whatever it might be. And instead of filling your heart with forgiveness that comes from Jesus, he can fill it with bitterness. He can create despondency and hopelessness. He can create fear. I mean, a lot of these are gonna go together where he takes your trials and he convinces you that God is not good. If God were good, how about this one? If God were so good, then why would he let this bad thing happen to you? And he just throws that in there and he lets it sit. And the only chance you have is to feed your soul with the truth of the scriptures. With faith to guard you in those moments because it's a very, very hard thing. When life is hard, it's really hard to think clearly. And so he takes your trials, and his goal just think about this every trial, the devil's goal is to take your faith and turn it into doubt. And God's goal is to take even your doubts and turn them into faith. They have opposite goals. So temptations. All right, so let's overview those. I mean, this is very important. I need you to think about these in your life. If you just listen to me say them, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. You've, it's just not helpful. But if you listen to me, list them out, and then you say, yep, 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 yep. And then you begin to deal with them, it's gonna help you, okay? So what does the devil do? Remember, the most effective shot is the thought. He's got temptations, which is using our desires and lust to turn us from faith in God's way to trust our own way. Examples like lust, greed, sexual morality, jealousy, and anger. Terrors, which are fears, intrusive thoughts, worst case scenarios, doubts, overwhelming condemnation, despair, regret, hopelessness, and any feeling he can use to terrorize your well-being. Tricks, which are lies, deceptions, imaginations, hypotheticals, assumptions. The goal is to keep us from seeing things as God does. And trials, the goal is to use our circumstances to turn us from faith into doubt. This can create hopelessness, despondency, apathy, bitterness, and regret. These are things actively at work in my life, actively at work in your life. So this is the problem. In light of the fact that this is the problem, the question needs to be, what is the solution? Well, this is what the scripture is gonna give us the solution. Say the solution is to take up the shield of faith. So the problem is the devil's throwing these darts at your heart and especially for those of you who are here you're you're not in Jesus you need to understand the problem the problem isn't just that you have a bad way of thinking the problem isn't just that you need better advice the problem isn't just that you need to read a different book or whatever the problem isn't in the fact that that any earthly thing you can see which is why any of your solutions don't work Right, The problem with your hopelessness isn't that you don't have the relationship that you like because you get the relationship you like and then all of a sudden you're still hopeless. You say, okay, that didn't work. You're finding the wrong solutions because you're diagnosing the wrong problems. And what you need to understand, especially my friends here outside of Christ, is that your primary problem is that the devil has distorted your way of life and thinking and that you're separated from God because of your sin and that the thoughts that are intruding on your life come directly from him and apart from Jesus, you have no means of fighting back. Your solutions aren't working. So I encourage you today to make your solution believing in Jesus. So the solution is to take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. So not just faith in anything. It's not just faith, but it's faith in something particular. As Paul explains in Ephesians chapter one, this is actually faith in Jesus. The shield of faith is faith in Jesus. So Ephesians 1.15 says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So he's already describing what is faith. Faith is primarily a location. It is putting everything that you have in the Lord Jesus. So it's belief in the Lord Jesus. This is important because it's not faith in church. It's not faith even in Christianity in general. It's not faith in religion. It's not faith in other people. The primary and the only place that can uphold our faith is in Jesus. And this is where some of the struggle comes for so many of us is we're putting our faith in other things. But faith in Jesus is the only faith that works. It's the only faith that does what is necessary. Even with other good people in your life, you cannot put your faith in anything other than Jesus. You cannot put your trust in anything other than Jesus. This is the point of the cross. So Jesus dies and rises again to destroy the work of the enemy against you which is primarily his ability to accuse you because of your sin. His primary attack on your life is that he can bring up your guilt and say, God, you have to judge their guilt. Look at how bad they are and how many sins they have committed. And because God is righteous and holy, that is true. He must judge your guilt. So the devil's constantly your accuser, and he's bringing up how many awful things you have done. And there is no solution for that because you can't work your way out of that other than the fact that Jesus comes, he dies on a cross, for your sins. He rises from the grave and then he clears you of all accusation as you believe and trust in him. So that when the devil wants to bring an accusation against you, God says, I threw that sin down into the bottom of the sea. So now you need that protection. If you're not here and you're outside of faith in Christ, you have no protection when the devil accuses you of the things you have done, said, believed, and thought. But if you begin to trust in Jesus, the Bible says he removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. So when the devil brings up your sins against you, God says, I don't remember those. And he clears you and he forgives you. This is the only hope you have of dealing with your sin. And I encourage you today, if that's you, you need to put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us who are here who know Jesus, this is what we have to live out. If the devil cannot accuse you of your sin in a way that condemns you, then he's going to use your current struggle with sin in a way to bring about difficulty in your life. If he can't accuse you to God, he's going to accuse you to yourself. And he's beginning to mess with your mind. Even though you are forgiven, you won't feel forgiven. Even though you are loved, you won't feel loved. Even though you do have a hope in the future, you won't feel like you have a hope in the future. You'll begin to not believe the very things that the cross bought for you. This is one of his goals in your life. If he cannot accuse you to God, he will accuse you to yourself. So you need to use faith. Ephesians 3, so Paul's walking us through. Remember we're in Ephesians 6 and Paul's already been discussing faith. Ephesians 1 is faith in Jesus. Ephesians 3 teaches us more about faith. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So how do I get Christ dwelling in my heart, which verse 16 says, strengthens me in my inner being? I get that through faith. You can think about it this way, that faith is the medium of divine power that allows us to experience the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. So faith connects us to what Jesus has done. Faith is what saves us, not works as Ephesians 2 says, right? Paul keeps teaching us about faith. He says, you are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not of your own works. Okay, you're saved by grace through faith. So faith attaches you to Jesus in a saving way, but then also a proactive Upholding, believing of faith, use of faith, attaches you more and more to Jesus in an experiential way. It begins to be the medium by which the strength and power of who God is is delivered to your inner being. It comes to life in your soul. This is what faith does. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith this way. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The shield of faith. If I'm going to pick up the shield of faith, part of what I'm doing is I'm convinced that the things God has promised will come to pass and those become more real to me than the struggles and the difficulties I see in the present moment. The shield of faith, I pick it up, I have assurance of the things hoped for, I'm convinced of things I haven't seen, meaning that the temptation comes my way that says it'll feel good to do this in the moment, but faith says, no, it actually feels better to be closer to God. It fights back and you begin to pick up the shield of faith and he says, faith, you know, the devil comes and he lies to me and says, it'll always be this way. And faith says, no, it will not. Faith tells you that even temporarily things will change and grow and seasons change. But most importantly, in eternity, things will never be like they are now. They will be perfect. Faith fights back. This is how faith works. It gives me the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now here's how the devil works. He works according to the things you can see. He uses the current struggles of your life, the temptations of your life, the trials of your life, the terrors of your life, the things that are around you that are within your sphere of influence. He uses those to destroy you. And instead of fighting back with things you can see, you need to start fighting back with things you cannot see. Faith doesn't fight with things it can see. That's what the devil fights with. Faith fights with something it can't see. Faith now goes into places that are uncertain. I mean, this is Hebrews 11 all over the place where every person who exercises faith goes into a place unknown, to a place unsure, to a place unseen. They trust God. This is what faith is. It's to have faith in the promises of God that everything he says will come to pass. It's the kind of faith that gets you through suffering, not always out of suffering. It's the kind of faith that allows you to stay steady even when things are unstable. This is what faith does for us. Faith leads us out of temptation and into the way of Jesus. What faith does in moments of darkness is it sheds light on it and it brings to mind the fact that I am always in God's presence. It leads me out of temptation because it helps me not believe the lies that I'm ever alone. It leads me out of temptation because it brings light and it sheds light onto the darkness of my thoughts. This is what faith is and what faith is doing. So what's the shield part? Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Why this analogy? Well, what's interesting about this particular shield he's talking about is it's not the kind that you hold and wield like this to try to guard certain parts of your body. It's a full body shield that you crouch behind to protect your whole body. This is the analogy he's given us now is that faith doesn't protect some of you, it protects all of you. And not only do you not have to yield faith like this, it's not like you take up faith and you go, swing, 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 like you're in the matrix. You know, you gotta be like Keanu Reeves to make sure all the things, you're dodging bullets. You know, you're like, man, I gotta be a faith ninja. You know, I, I gotta take up this shield of faith and swing, 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 you know, uh, like a lightsaber in Star Wars. and I'm just knocking all the things out. And you say, well, that still sounds like, no, 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 no. It's not that kind of faith. It's faith to say, here's this humongous shield. I stick it in the ground and I crouch behind it, you know, and I'm good. That's what that kind of faith is. It's a coverall for your whole body and it's also something that sits in front of you, not something that you hold by yourself. He says that this faith, this shield of faith extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. What I want you to remember about this is that it's the kind of shield that eliminates all threats shot at it, which means it doesn't just keep the arrow from penetrating your body, but it also puts the fire out. So what they would do back in the old days is they would put uh, skin, animal skin, on their shield they would even put them on the roofs and different things because it would extinguish the fire when it hits and so this is the idea for us too is that faith not only prevents the arrow from coming but it extinguishes the fire it eliminates all possible threats it's a it's a cover all it's a hundred percent guaranteed it covers every part of you you know it deals with every part of your soul and your life faith is the only thing that can do this now more about the shield i want you to see this part this is probably the most important part uh So all throughout the Old Testament, the Bible describes the Lord as our shield. I'll give you some examples. Psalm 18, verse one, Proverbs 30, verse five, Psalm chapter five, verse 12. Over and over again, it says things like, the Lord is my shield, my refuge and my strength. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So, think about it now, when, uh, Bible thoughts, you know, to say, he says, take up the shield of faith. And what you're really doing now, what is faith in this moment? If, okay, if, if Paul's, you know, an Old Testament guy and he's reading, to Paul, the shield wouldn't just be a metaphor of a, a, an army soldier, which it would be, but biblically, it would be thinking about the fact that the Lord is my shield. So, when he says, take up the shield of faith, it's almost like, man, just take up the Lord, so to speak. So what is faith now? Faith, listen, okay, so the Lord is my shield. This is true of me if I'm in Christ. So instead of me necessarily doing this, what I begin to do, faith is simply the act of acknowledgement that the Lord is my shield. Faith isn't, I pick up the shield and I knock all the arrows away. Faith Is the act of acknowledgement, the conscious awareness that the Lord is my shield, my defender, my protector, my forgiver, my shepherd, my leader, my savior, and he is guarding my life. And all I'm really doing is crouching behind that, you know, and maybe grabbing the handle, and saying, look, I'm just right here, I'm gonna attach myself to this. And I, faith is just saying, it's, it's making real what's really real, and say, so I can't technically see that in front of me, but faith sees it, that's why 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, you walk by faith, not by sight. It begins to be aware of the fact that, that the Lord is my shield. Now here's an important aspect of faith and this is something for you to write down because you don't need to forget this. Faith is only good if the object of your faith is strong. A lot of faith in the wrong place is nothing, but a little faith in the right place is everything. See, faith is only good if the object of your faith is strong. Faith is not about how strong your faith is. It's about how strong the object of your faith is. A lot of faith in the wrong place, in any place other than God, is nothing, a lot, but a little faith. Just a little faith in the right place is a lot. This is why Jesus gives the parable of the mustard seed. He says, you must have faith the size of a mustard seed which at that time was the smallest seed that they they knew of. And he's basically saying, "You, you gotta have a little bit of faith, you know, to be able to move mountains. The idea being that faith is only good if the object of your faith is strong. A lot of faith in the wrong place is nothing, but a little faith in the right place is a lot. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. You need to get that out of your vocabulary. It's not about you having strong faith. It's about your faith being directed to a strong God. And so many of us, especially Christians, are trying to have strong faith, trying to increase our faith. We're trying to have more faith. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible says that just a little bit of faith will do. Why? Because it's not about how strong your faith is, it's about how strong the object of your faith is. Let me give you some analogies. You know this in life. Let's say you go out with somebody uh, to have dinner, and uh, well, you know, these days you have your phone. but Let's just say you forget your wallet, you know, and you're like, man, I can't pay for dinner. You let them know ahead of time so you're not being tricky, you know, say, oh, I forgot my wallet. And they say, oh, no problem, I got you. And you say, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Your faith in that is is—that's good so far. Let's say you get to the dinner, you know, it's a nice. Let's say you go to Ruth Chris and it's kind of expensive. And you think, man, we really went out tonight, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no problem, you know, Psh, I got it, you know. Then he gives the lady his credit card or debit card or whatever, you know. If he's Dave Ramsey, he doesn't give her the credit card. That would be bad. He gives her the debit card or actually just gives her a lot of cash. Actually, it would probably be, probably the way I was supposed to give her a lot of cash. So here's all my $1 bills. And, uh, but cash wouldn't work in this example. So he gives him the, the debit card and she goes and she swipes it. She comes back and says, sir, your card was declined. He says, oh, you know, and then he gives him a credit card and says, why don't you try this one? Sir, your card is declined. Sir, your card is declined. Now, how good was your faith? Did it matter how much you believed that your friend had the money to take care of it? Did it matter how much you loved your friend and wanted to go to dinner with them? No, the only thing that mattered was whether they actually had the money in the bank. If someone came up to you and promised to pay all your bills, it wouldn't make you happy unless they could do it. Your faith doesn't matter in terms of your strength, what you believe, uh, in terms of like the level of which you believe something. Faith is belief, even a little bit, in the right place. They have to be able to deliver. It's the same thing with, it doesn't matter how much faith you have in a parachute, it matters if the parachute works and can hold you up. You can jump out of that plane terrified with very little belief that this will work. But if the parachute works, then your faith works. It's the same is true with so many things in life. If you're in a harness and you're going on a zip line, does it matter how strongly you believe that that harness is gonna hold you up? No, if you're willing to step out, that means you believe it. What matters is whether the harness can hold you up. This is the reality for us. So I wanna encourage you today to stop trying to have stronger faith because that is a focus on you and start thinking about God's strength and you will have a stronger faith. Okay? Please hear me because I know so many of us do this. Stop trying to have a stronger faith. you think, wow, what pastor would ever say that? Okay? Don't tweet that. Remember, we need context. Okay? <laughs> context. Okay? Stop trying to have a stronger faith. Why? Well, that focuses on you. Have you ever made much progress by you know focusing on how great stop trying to have a stronger faith. So I can do better, I can do I can read more, I can but start putting your mind on God's strength, on who he is for you, and you'll find that your faith will grow. And then you'll be able to use that faith for something strong. One time I was taking a bunch of youth kids out for uh, an event way back when, you know, when I was young and fun, and we were doing all these things, climbing and jumping off rope swings, and we got to this rope swing on this kind of cliffside thing, it was like a ravine or whatever, and it had worked, uh, it, somebody had just kind of put it together, but it looked pretty stable, but we weren't totally sure, you know, uh, and so they're, you know, they're like 15-year-old kids, 14-year-old kids, they don't care, you know, they, 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 they're not worried about living or dying, so they, they jump on it, and they swing out, woo, and they're good, and they swing out, first one goes, like, hey, fun, the next one goes, hey, good, and the next one goes, okay, we send like five or six through, uh, I probably should have gone first, but I didn't, so we, we send them all through, they're like, yes, yeah, this is fun, or whatever, so I'm like, oh, okay, it's my turn, my turn, and I jump on the rope, and this is no joke, as soon as I leave the ground, the rope snaps and breaks, and I literally, I'm not, I mean, I think Chris was either, I was like two inches from my head, just slapping on the side of the cliff that we were driving down, that we were flying over, and I missed it by, I'm telling you like an inch, but with the grace of God uh, that I somehow made it just far enough out into the water that I didn't absolutely die and kill myself. But the rope broke. So here's what happens. Did it matter how many people, you know, Got on that rope first and believe it. Did it matter? All these things. The only thing that mattered was not whether my faith was strong. So some of you, it's the opposite now. To say, man, I've seen this person got happy when they had a lot of money. It looks like it. I'm scrolling through Instagram and it looks like that way of life really works. This person's trying that. This person is trying that. You're kind of dismissing the reality that all these people, other people who have money is all these successful people are still depressed and upset. You're missing the reality that you've experienced that in your own life. But you're seeing all these people swing the rope out, swing the rope out, swing the rope. Out. Uh, to try to find life and to be successful in life and to find enjoyment and to find fulfillment and to find forgiveness and all these different things. You think, all oh, that looks like that works for them. Well, let me tell you something about that. It doesn't matter if the rope still can't hold you up. It doesn't matter. And so what I wanna encourage you today, some of you are being deceived into thinking that rope works, that rope of life works, it'll get me to where I wanna go. And just because it appears to work for others doesn't mean it's going to work when you put your hand on it and give it the fullness of your way. And what I guarantee you is most importantly on the day of judgment, when you stand before God and your eternity is played out before you, the only rope that will get you swinging into heaven is Jesus it's the only one. And so you can spend all your life trying all the different ropes of this world, trying to get to where you want to go, but I promise you, when you put your weight on the rope of your good works, it will not swing you all the way to heaven. When you put your weight on the rope of your success, it will not swing you all the way to heaven. When you put your rope on the weight of all your church attendance, it will not swing you all the way to heaven. When you put your weight on the rope of your life in any way whatsoever on the rope of your standards and life say I wasn't so bad it won't swing you all the way into heaven the only rope made that can hold you up and get you from death to life both now and forevermore is Jesus it's the only one it's the only one you need to put your faith in Jesus in Jesus so here's what I want to do real quick I want to I want to have you think about a couple questions in your life all right, I want to ask the band, they're going to, to go ahead and come back up, and we're going to take a moment to reflect, all right? I don't have these on the screen, but if you can, write them down. So you have faith, you have um, the shield of faith, and you have the, the attacks of the devil. So you know the problem, you know the solution. Well, the Bible also tells us now that this thing is available in all circumstances, at all times. So the shield of faith works in every circumstance, every situation, every relationship. The shield of faith is sufficient for every trouble, every trial, it works in all circumstances. Not some circumstances, but all circumstances. Not sometimes, but all the time. It'd be really nice to make sure you had a solution to every possible circumstance in life. Well, you do, it's called the shield of faith. The Bible says in all circumstances, in every moment of life, at every thought turn, in every possible temptation, every time you have a terror, in every possible scenario, take up the shield of faith. So I want us to do that. So you need to diagnose some things as we close. What are the arrows coming at your life right now? You need to consider this because they're happening. Think about it this way. What are the lies you're tempted to believe right now that you walked in here this morning with? the temptations, the terrors, the tricks, and the trials. What are the specific ones that you are tempted to believe right now, that you have been believing this week? What are they? And then ask the second question, how does believing those lies, how is it affecting my choices? Okay, so what are they? What are the terrors, the tricks, the trials, the temptations, and how are they affecting my choices? And not only how are they affecting my choices, but now we're here, how are they affecting my well-being and my soul? Am I well? Am I not? Am I overly anxious? Am I at peace? Do I feel confident in who God is or I live in doubt? So what are the lies? How are they affecting my choices? Like what are the things I'm choosing to do that I'm only doing because I'm believing the lie? And then because I'm doing that, now I'm in this situation and position. How are they affecting who you are, how you're doing? Diagnose the problem. Now here's the flip side. Now you consider those things, you say, what is, what, now you have to ask another question. What does faith have to say about that? When I consider the lies of the devil, now I need to consider the promises of God. So what promises and truth from God counteract those lies? And then if I believed God, what decisions would I make instead? How would belief and faith affect my choices? So what are the lies? How are those affecting my choices and my well-being? What is the truth? And if I believe that, how would that affect my choices and well-being? And then in light of that, you just today, you take hold of that shield of faith, which isn't you and your strength, but it's ducking behind the strength of who God is. I want to close with this quote. There's this old writer when he was talking about battle and shields. He would say, he said, in battle, they would bend on their knees and cover themselves with their shield. And I thought, what an amazing spiritual reality for us. That the safest place to be is on your knees and covered by the shield. And so I want to encourage you to go to that place with God today. So I'm going to pray and we're going to respond to God. There'll be prayer down front. If you want to come pray with someone, you need it. I need it. I encourage you to do that. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. I pray now that you would help us all, Lord, to duck and cover behind your shield. I pray that you would take where there is, in lies that we have believed, that you would substitute them for truth this morning. I pray for a real supernatural exchange. I pray that we would have faith, not in what we can do, that we wouldn't worry so much about how strong our faith is, but that we would give our our focus to you, that we would take rest in how strong you are for us. I pray that you would deliver many out of the trap the devil has set for them, that you would set many free this morning. A life of joy and purpose, forgiveness and freedom in your name. I pray that you would expose the works of the enemy today in the light, and that you would bring victory through the cross and the resurrection. That we would leave here changed, confident, ready to stand firm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to